Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and I'm so excited to have Clea Wade here with me today. This activist, author, poet, and voice of this generation is also a mom of a one-year-old and a new children's book, What the Road Said. Today, we're talking about her new book, having a baby in a pandemic, and so many important messages she shares with the world that we can share with our children. If you enjoy this episode, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and even write a little review. You can always send me DMs on my Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast. Send in your questions for me to answer on Instagram and in these episodes. My biggest lesson I learned in the first year of motherhood was that your motherhood is only as powerful as your personhood. Mm-hmm. And when I was re- making this book, I was like, you know, I have to k- keep parenting myself in order to be a good parent to this person. And, and my own healing journey has so much to do with continuously parenting and, and nurturing myself as I keep growing up, you know, cause we keep, we kind of think that we stop growing up as we get to a certain age, but because we keep growing, we actually are always growing up. Yes. And so it was, you know, to me, it's like, I sometimes will just, you know, ever since I got the book, I'll just kind of like read it as a meditation for myself. Cause like my daughter has no idea what any, like what the hell any of the words <laughs> say. <laughs> and so I'm like, sometimes like I'll read it as her bedtime story, knowing that she's like, I kind of only understand like black and white books with like great pictures right now. And I'm like, I think I just needed to hear it. Yeah. And what's so wild is like what you're saying is I can always see things through the lens of science, which completely takes away the beautiful spirituality of what you're talking about. And it's totally unintentional. But I was just thinking the third biggest time that our brains develop is onset of parenthood. And it's not the biology, it's the caregiving. So we're kind of reborn and our brains are doing their third biggest growth spurt from there's like the first few years and then adolescence and then onset of parenthood. And it's so beautiful because in a way you birthed yourself as a mother at the same time as as you birthed a baby. And then you have this book that you birthed at the same time. And it's nurturing both of you and I, and all of us are about to get nurtured by it. So it's a real gift. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to share it. I wanted to see if you would want to read a little bit and then we can talk about some of the things that you wrote, but there is no pressure there. I just thought your voice 
would be wonderful. Sure, I actually had, is there a specific page you wanted to read or do you want me to pick or? Um, you can totally pick, but I took a little screenshot of something yeah, that I just me. thought was wonderful. Cause you know, it's interesting, like all of the parenting stuff and all the lessons and all the science were boiled down to like, I kind of mapped out, I read it obviously multiple times. Cause it's first, I just read it emotionally and did my weeping that I needed to do. And then um, I read it trying to think through the lens of having a conversation about it as parents. There is this um, beautiful idea of the massive protection having an attuned, sensitive caregiver hat that, that has this protection around all of the outside forces that can really cause pain and harm. And it's so powerful. It really, not that you'd wish anything on any child, but it serves to sort of buffer the effects of the world in many ways because you become this resilient human. And that's for that sensitivity and understanding and being seen combined with a sense that like you're meant to grow and fly. And all those things are deep rooted in science. And then I was reading the book and there it is, but just in poetry. And it's mm -hmm. the same beautiful message. And so I pulled a couple of, it was really hard to choose because every page is a poem. Um, so I wanted to pull a couple of the things that I saw. And another one is, there's something that you wrote about perspective taking, like the whole lesson embody, like kind of captured in one page. And there was one page that was like empathy in, a again, in just a few words. And so those things that you kind of think, I mean, I have whole episodes on nurturing empathy or nurturing these components of ourselves and our kids. And then it's just in this book. So here are the pages. <laughs> okay. How do I start? I asked. The road smiled and said, you have already started. Well, what happens when I get there? We have just begun, said the road. Do not skip straight to the ending. Enjoy the beginning and the middle too. So then you ask the question, but what if I go the wrong way? This road to me was like, I want to know who, you, who the road is for you. I really do. Uh, so this says, um, which way do I go? That is your choice to make, said the road. But what if I go the wrong way? The road curved a little, almost as if it was giving me a hug and said, do not worry. Sometimes we go the wrong way on our way to the right way. So that is the mama that we all need. Yeah. You know, make your decisions, make your own choices, and then this beautiful support. You know, when I was writing this book, there were so many um, themes or ideas that I wanted to focus on. But, you know, as I was writing this, I, I kind of thought about how I do interviews a lot for my other books. And something I get a lot is, um, you know, what advice would you give your younger self or what advice would you give yourself as a child? And I always pause when someone asks me that because I say to them, I was like, you know, I'm trying to think in the moment because I want to be able to give her advice she could hear. And something that I really do a lot with my own work, you know, that I've, I've learned over the, you know, almost 10 years of putting out books of poetry is that the words are only as valuable as your ability to deliver them in a way that people can receive it then. 
and hear them and feel them and take them in and make them their own. And so this kind of mantra I've always had about my own work is, you know, I don't want to tell you what to do with, with these words I write. I want to give you the words that allow you the space to do what you need to do with the words. And because of that kind of way that I live through all of my writing, whether it's putting writing on a billboard or putting writing on online or putting it in a book or wherever my work ends up, it's always about allowing the space for someone to understand and, and take in what they need from them. And that's why, you know, Heart Talk is a book that people read when they're, you know, moving through depression as a teen or going through a divorce or, you know, because I really, you know, wanted to do the same thing with my kids' books that I did with my adult books, which is just broaden the language and the experience so that, you know, throughout your life, you can kind of have this fundamental okayness that you can draw back to, to stabilize you no matter the situation. So these lines, you know, the, the first ones about we have just begun, you know, that, that page, you know, in every kind of two page spread, I was kind of like, what is my focus here? And in that one, it was presence, right? It's like, don't worry about getting there, be here, enjoy the beginning, the middle, enjoy every part. In the next page, it was really, you know, my, my key kind of feeling was shame. Right. And, and I found that, you know, in all of the kids books, I mean, I think I read 300 kids books researching for this book. And, you know, it's interesting because we have all these books that where it's like V is for vulnerability or like S is for shame or, and you don't need shame. And and if you have shame, you can pat, you can combat it with compassion. And those things like are barely things we're able to integrate as adults because we don't, we've already built up the habits and it's even new language for us to really kind of understand what to do with now, you know, which is why, you know, Brené Brown's been working on vulnerability for 25 years and is only in the past five years having this real moment of us understanding because she's just done such an amazing job really introducing it in, 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 in integrating it into the culture. And so I think that with this, you know, book, I was kind of like, I was like, you know, I kept thinking about that James Baldwin line that's like, children never listen to their elders, but they never fail to imitate them. And so I kept thinking, you know, you can't tell a kid not to have shame. But what you can do is create, you know, the space of anti-shame, right? And you can and you can tell a kid to be compassionate, but compassion is honestly so hard even for us to understand and move into. You know, I think that compassion and shame are two of the things that I, you know, if I'm giving a speech or something, I get asked about the most because the pathways don't seem, they're just like not that clear and they're really hard. And they take a, they take a mix of spirituality, which not a lot of people love to embrace and a mix of, you know, science and understanding, which maybe some people don't want to embrace all the same. And they're hard to, they're hard yeah. um, with the current language we put around them. And so when I was thinking about, you know, I thought about all the patterning I had to undo as an adult and all the things I had to unlearn. And, you know, shame is obviously one of the things I struggle with, like so many people. And so I was like, well, you know, what, what words would have helped me in combating shame before I knew, you know, that it just can't give me shame antibodies. Right. You know, and I didn't even need to think about, um, you know, that shame was creeping in and I was actually having to have the conversation with shame but it was that like, you know, how do I tell someone, you know, early on that, you know, these 
ideas of this kind of self-doubt will make you feel stuck. And I was like, oh, sometimes you go the wrong way on the way to the right way, you know? And, and it was all about finding yourself wherever you need to be and really respecting how you get there. You know, the shame antibodies is so brilliant because you're right. It's not like you are a young child and you're aware of what this shame thing is. It's just, and by the way, how many adults do, like how many times are we feeling shame and we don't even- And know how to name it. Yeah. I mean, it comes in so many forms, you know, it's like something I write, write a lot for adults is that like, you know, shame is a, you know, a stranger who acts like your best friend, you know? And so it's shame is someone who doesn't know you at all. And like gets, tries to get really chummy with you and into your psyche. And so, and I say that because it can look in just such a variety of ways. So like just how like a person can have all these different ways that they can appear in, in, in life or, you know, kind of be like, Oh, are they my friend? Are they, you know, my boyfriend? Are they my this? I like, you know, shame does that too. And so it is so hard to name. And so instead I was kind of like, well, let's just stop. Let's just start combating the idea of like investing in shameful thought patterning, you know, with a six-year-old, right? You know, and then it's just kind of like, oh yeah, I sometimes like doubt that I'm going the right way, but I, and I know that sometimes you just go the wrong way on the way sometimes. And so, you know, I wanted it to feel like, I wanted to just, I think, invest in what I think our true nature is and not actually have a conversation as if we're already in need. Mm-hmm. you know, of, um, of reprogramming. Yeah. And, and so much of the conversation when adults think about kids or p- physicians or psychologists, and I am a developmental psychologist, but so much of it is fixing something or talking about it through the lens of pathology or talking about, you know, a, something that is, that needs to be rewired. And the idea that you're just starting out of the gate, being open to, letting a human being unfold, removing some of these strange things we just impose on kids and then become. It's a beautiful and much more, I mean, this is how the world is supposed to work, where we go in with looking for the good, not the stuff that's a mess. Or at the very least, curiosity. You know, I mean, to me, this whole, you know, when I was writing this book, I, before I'm writing anything, I kind of clear like a push pin board and Mm -hmm. I, you know, kind of put the inspirations that I'm working with on the board to kind of make sure that I'm always anchored to something. And one of the first kind of pieces of paper I put on the board said, um, it is always okay to not know the answer, but it should never be because you were afraid to ask the question. And so when I was writing this book, it was really like, okay, you know, if I'm going to write a book, that's going to, you know, start with the word leader, you know, what are the things I think are important to any type of, you know, leadership, um, or any type of, you know, kind of, you know, learning to be your own hero protagonist, you know, and it was curiosity. And I was like, listen, like whether or not you want to put on rose colored glasses or not, curiosity, um, can, you know, save almost any situation, you know, and lack of curiosity is, I think one of the most surefire ways to end up depressed. And so I think that, you know, to me, whether, however, the, you know, I was always kind of light to not just say like, you know, the road is this kind of like calming force that just gently always says to you, like, at least stay open and curious, because I do think that whether it's children or adults, if you're always doing that, then, 
you know, you're, you're always moving at least, you know, you're always, you're always on the way to becoming the person you can be. You're always kind of, you're staying in your own path of your evolution. And that curiosity keeps you connected in this relationship too, with yourself and with your child. And then, you know, I have a, tomorrow she'll be four, my oldest is turning 14 tomorrow. And there's no room really for anything right now for me to give her except curiosity, like true curiosity, because I don't have very many answers for her anymore. Like I used to have, I thought I used to have some answers, but I, you know, it's like the, the more, you know, the more, you know, you don't know. You know, I mentor so many young girls and I always talk to their parents and say like, you know, well, the kids get to a certain age when they're teenagers, where the only thing that you can be um, is kind of like, you know, you, they, they stop needing answers from you that they can find online. Uh-huh. They feel too embarrassed to like ask their parent, you know, but you can, you can be their confidant. Mm-hmm. And the only way that you can be their confidant is through openness and curiosity about their lives. And, you know, so many of us struggle as we get older, you know, we find ourselves in therapy feeling saying, you know, I felt this and this and this about my childhood. And so much of it was because you didn't feel seen or heard. And listen, so much of the strife we have, whether it's division in the country or around so many things is this constant theme of not being seen and heard. And what leads to that, right? Closed offness and lack of curiosity. You know, when you're not curious about how someone got to how they got, you know, became who they are, you know, whether that's from a hateful place or a peaceful place. Yeah. Um, you know, we get really stuck. But do you have one road like in your head or is the road many people or things to you? You know, the road for me, you know, I, I actually had a pretty lonely childhood. And so to me, when I started with the road, it was kind of this conversation between like the adult me parenting my childhood me. Mm. And so it was really this kind of accumulation of, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily, you know, my, I don't think it's like my personal, I'm like a, you know, personally like my own little universe, but it's the (laughs) accumulation of, you know, all of the books that I've read over the years and all of the amazing mentors and people who have been in my life over the years that have, contributed to, you know, me being able to merge, um, my voice as the person on the journey and the actual road. It says, will I always move forward? Not always said the road. Why not? Because sometimes you will stumble backward and sometimes you will stand still. What if I fall? Everyone falls at some point said the road, but I will always be there when you land. In kind of the, how I design all of my books is that I, I always want the book to be able to flow front to back, um, including my adult books, but I design every, I mean, my books take so long because I literally design every single page myself. And when you see my handwriting, it's because I actually hand wrote it. And so, you know, it's important for me. And even when I was picking this illustrator, I want every page to feel like its own painting. So if that, that spread really, you know, was something that spoke to you, you could cut those pages out and put them in a frame and put them in your child's room. And heart talk is like that too, because heart talk, you could read front to back. You could pick a page at random, Mm -hmm. you know, the kind of thing I always write with all of my books is that there's no rules to reading this because something I found really early on when I was making heart talk was just that People really wanted tools and they really wanted poetry, actually. And this was before poetry was like a thing. (laughs) 
but it was just, you know, no, it, it, it felt daunting because people didn't feel like they had time to read the entire or knew how to prioritize. You know, we, we have a hard time creating time for self-care. It's hard to prioritize, you know, maybe reading an entire book on vulnerability, but you can maybe read a page on it and, and sit with that for the day. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's as much in your busy day as you can hear in the moment. And maybe the entire book is actually overwhelming for you. And so I really found that my kind of role in the, you know, space was really like, Get offering whatever you could need at this moment in any whatever way you need to take it. And so when I did this book, it was really the same. It was like, listen, if you want to open a page at random and that's the page you focus on with your kids for the day, um, you could do that in the morning and that could be their mantra for the day. Or it obviously does flow from front to back. And so that's why every page to me is really highly thematic. And this page is really about fundamental okayness. And so if you're going to read this page in the beginning of the day, when it says, you know, everyone falls at some points of the road, but I will always be there when you land. It is this idea that you always have you, you know, you, you always have you, you know, you can just, if you are ever feeling outside of yourself, you can just close your eyes, feel that you're, you know, that your feet are planted or your seat is planted and remember that you have the ability to be okay. And that whatever you've gone through, you've made it through and, and you, you can be okay through this. And so, you know, I think that when it comes to kids, especially, you know, especially teenagers teaching that fundamental okayness, which is like, no matter what happened today, no matter who said the one thing that threw you off your center, your center is always available to you. And so, you know, for me, the theme of that was that that page, just like with the other page, it was really about shame um, and, 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 and anti-shame. This page is really about, you know, fundamental okayness and this idea that you always have the ability and the power to ground yourself in yourself. Strike Club was founded by four women with 11 children between them. And they noticed that their girls' bathrooms were overflowing with personal care products while their boys could barely be bothered with a basic bar of soap. And so they asked, have these boys ever washed their faces? And they embarked on a mission to help guys feel more confident and engage in self-care with simple and effective skin and acne care products. Strike Club was born. Strike Club products are effective because they're formulated, tested, and approved by the co-founder who's a dermatologist. Strike Club is safe because it's formulated without parabens, sulfates, phthalates, and the formulas are cruelty-free because safety is non-negotiable. And Strike Club has been verified by the Environmental Working Group. Plus, it's easy to use. Most boys do not want an elaborate grooming routine. That's why the products fit their lifestyle. Fast, multitasking, discreet, and unfussy. And to be frank, Strike Club is less embarrassing. There are no scents unless you want scents. And then the scents feel a little bit more like a teenage boy. The packaging and branding is subtle and it's designed for guys in mind. So they just make it feel a little bit more cool. Strike Club's available at Target stores and at Target Online and at strikeclub.com. So if you go to strikeclub.com right now and enter the code G-O-O-D at checkout, you will receive 15% off your purchase. That's strike with a Y, S-T-R-Y-K-E-C-L-U-B.com, 
code GOOD for 15% off. Today's episode is also brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive daily nutritional beverage I've ever tried. There are so many things to worry about. It's really, really hard to maintain effective nutritional habits or give our bodies all the nutrients they need to thrive, even though, of course, we try to do our best with healthy foods. This is where Athletic Greens can be helpful. They have a daily all-in-one superfoods powder. It's just a nutritional essential, just one, and it is by far the easiest and most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your health routine today. And it will empower you to take ownership over your own health. One scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. They all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase your energy and focus, aid with digestion, and support a healthy immune system. And all of this without the need to take multiple products. Right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your system during the winter months. They're offering my audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. So you'll basically never have to buy vitamin D again. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash humans and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Jane is a highly curated boutique marketplace featuring the latest in women's fashion, trends and accessories, home decor, children's clothing. I mean, there's just everything. Jane.com features hundreds of new products every day. Every day is a sale at Jane.com. They offer a wide variety of categories and styles where you can find something for everyone in your life. There are over 400 new products dropped daily. Everything from apparel for the whole family, even your dog or your cat, even home decor. There's fun finds such as toys and novelty items. And if you like a good deal, Jane.com is definitely the site for you. Jane.com's assortment is highly curated. So you know you'll find the latest trends as well as classic basics. And by shopping at Jane.com, you're supporting small businesses. They offer products and name brands from over 2,000 shops. Visit jane.com slash humans, jane.com slash humans. Hi there, I'm Tyler Green. After my son was born a couple of years ago, I realized pretty quickly, a family isn't just something you have, it's something you make. It's beautiful (laughs) and messy. That's what my podcast, This Is My Family, is all about. I interview fascinating people from all walks of life, poets, teachers, drag queens, and we talk about how we make our families and the ways those families make us. Listen at TIMFshow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This really is poetry that you could put up. I mean, I do know that when I do give this book to my older daughter, she certainly would be the kind of person to cut it up and put it in frames around her room because it's inspirational. Yeah. I mean, even when I was looking for the illustrator, you know, I mean, there's a lot of reasons I was really scared to put this book out. You know, one, it's really scary to write in a new genre. And then two, you know, this book is very different than kids' books right now. You know, even in the illustrator we chose, 
is in no possible way on trend with any of the types of kids books you see. But with kids books right now, it it looks like it'd be very easily made digitized. So things are very round um, and, you know, eyes are very like buggy, you know, it's, and they're also very character driven. um, Mm -hmm. And so when I was, you know, searching for illustrators for this book, I was like, you know, but this book is all about a feeling and I want everything to feel really painterly. And I actually, because I, you know, am writing a book front to back, but I'm writing an experience that's one page at a time. I really wanted every page to feel like this incredible piece of art. And so, you know, when I finally found Lucy, you know, she was so perfect. And, but I remember sitting with my publisher and she was like, She's like, you know, Cleo, I love this book so much. And so we're going to do, we're going to, you know, make it however you want to make it. Also, when I wrote this book, um, you know, usually if you have other books, you can kind of put together a proposal for a book. But because I was going into a new genre, I didn't want people to think that I wanted to do a kid's book as like a throwaway book. Yeah. You know, um, because that does tend to happen. Sometimes with people, I think they just are like, I would like to add, you know, kids book author to my resume or something like that. And so I actually like wrote so much of this book in order to sell it, you know, to find my publisher. And I was like, you know, this was, it was probably 75% finished um, as a, as an idea and a concept and the words before um, the 25 that wasn't finished was pretty critical, but it was 75% done. And which is very, um, like, you, you don't really sell pretty much finished books like that. And so my publisher who did buy it, she was just like, you know, we love this, you know, so we're going to do it however you want to do it, but you should know, like you are definitely taking this risk. And I was like, but I always work backwards from how I want the reader to feel, you know? So I always think as I'm writing, you know, what's going to feel like that warm blanket. And Mm. I think about how I want them to feel about shame, or I think about how I want them to feel about kindness, or I think I want, I, I think about how I want them to feel about resilience. And like, and and it's always this kind of idea of like, you know, what would make you feel comforted in understanding that concept? And I was like, so because I work really from this place of how the reader feels, the visuals are so important to me. And so, you know, even as we were writing this, I was like, you know, I want a teen to be able to be like, I'm ripping this out and taking it to my dorm. And with the kind of the way the the style of a lot of kids books now, I wasn't sure that they would feel that way if it was too kind of, you know, in, in that kind of like a very like round style. It's like, I want them to feel like it's artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it was, um, it's, this book has definitely been a journey. It's, I, I'm really like, I, I'm so excited to see how it does in the world because I, I don't, I have literally no idea. So this is the page about bravery. It says, um, what if I get scared? That is okay. You are brave, said the road. But what does it mean to be brave? I asked. The road guided me through a very gloomy forest. Even though I was frightened, I trusted the road. And as I took one step and then another step after that, the road gently whispered, being brave is when you are afraid of doing something, but you do it anyway. Do not let what scares you keep you from continuing on your path. And so for this page, what was really important to me is, you know, I think we hear, you know, this definition of bravery pretty often, you know, it's like, you know, doing it anyway. And, but what I really wanted to make sure that I put in the process of describing bravery was the idea of trust. Because if you don't have a relationship with trust on your way to the brave thing, then you might end up being brave. You might end up thinking it's bravery, but really you're just 
you know, submitting to peer pressure or really you're just (laughs) doing something you actually don't even want to do that you're doing anyway. And so I, you know, the reason that, you know, the road says that this traveler is brave and then it takes it on this journey where the, the, the traveler is a little scared and then is saying, you know, I was frightened, but I trusted the road and I took one step and another step, you know, to me, when I think about having that conversation with kids, it's about saying, you know, as you kind of search for, you know, what it's going to take for you to do the thing you're afraid of, investigate, you know, and, and get to this core of trusting yourself so that you're making a decision from the right place so that you know that what you, what, what you are scared to do that you're going to do anyway is what you really want to do. And I think that a lot of the times in that, the kind of advice that we have in the world of like, be brave, being brave is being afraid and doing it anyway. And it's like, just, but that to me is when you jump off the cliff and close your eyes the whole time and miss the experience. So if you can actually like instill trust in yourself, you can confidently make, you know, take a risk, do a brave thing. And you get to open your eyes as you like kind of fly or, you know, free fall. And, um, and so, you know, to me, I, I wanted to make sure that that step was present because if not the concept of that kind of generally used idea and definition of bravery, um, I think can, you know, end up being misplaced completely. It's, it can be misinterpreted. And that was a, just a a guide, the guide of trusting the road was enough. It was like that and acknowledging, yeah, it's okay. Cause yeah. I think that's the other thing is the, there's, there was no message of you shouldn't feel scared or you shouldn't feel sad, or you shouldn't feel all the yeah. range of feelings that one is going to go through th- in a day. <laughs> yeah. um, because you had all this prep work of self-reflection and, you know, the things that we're meant to do to get to the space, to be able to have this journey with our kids how did it feel having one? Like what is happening for you? If I, if that's okay to ask, cause you've gotten through yeah. the first year in a pandemic, <laughs> you know, which babies are living their best life because they mm-hmm. want, you know, like this is that, that is the, the one, that particular age, <laughs> Memphis's age is just the dream age for if there is such a thing for this yeah. pandemic, but not for parents. So necessarily. So I'm wondering for you kind of where this journey has taken you and what, you know, did you go into this with the curiosity that you, it seems like I would imagine you went into it with and what from this book would you say is different or changed now that you've been a mom for a year? There's a few things, you know, one, you know, right before we had Memphis, you know, my partner Simon and I were really like, you know, we talked about, cause I think that whenever you're about to do anything big, you, you, for whether it's going into a relationship or not, like in even the dating phase where you like have the type of like long-term relationship you want in theory. And then you, the, the, the thing that usually catches us or like, you know, messes us up is that we don't discuss how to turn what we want in theory into, um, you know, practical habits that hold up the theory, you know, the, the, the wants and desires. And so one of the things that we did with parent, you know, with kind of discussing parenting was Memphis was, I was like, you know, my greatest goal is that, you know, she doesn't grow up in a household where 
where any aspect of this household is something she feels she needs to break out of in order to be herself. Mm. And so that was kind of my overall, like kind of thesis for parenting her. So it was, you know, every time I bought books, that was kind of, I always thought about that, you know, I, because I, you know, work full time and, you know, so I'm, I'm very lucky to have, you know, childcare support at my house, you know, every time we talk to, you know, a, a different, you know, caretaker or, you know, or how we structure anything in our house. And, or, you know, we always think of that, you know, which is that, you know, does this personality feel like one that doesn't give her space, even as a one-year-old to explore, be curious. And so for us, that, that has really been the priority. And, you know, one of the most interesting things about having a kid is that you really do see that, um, you know, they actually do start out with all they need. And so when I was doing the last edit of this book, I actually just wanted to make sure I was like reaffirming everything I saw in my, you know, three month old, even at the time, which was that they're just curious, they're just looking around and they're just wondering, and they are likely to like kind of laugh and think something's funny or interesting before frown or cry or, you know, and, and so, and then I felt really happy, you know, after the book had already gone out, but as I continued watching my daughter over the past, you know, eight months, nine months, almost a year after that, you know, I saw that like everything that I wrote about in the road is something she already kind of naturally did and was. And so, you know, it really made me feel so happy that I wrote something that was just a reminder to kind of stay connected to your original state, which is a state of imagination. And I always say that curiosity is the gateway to imagination and imagination is the gateway to joy. And so, you know, to me, I wanted her to, you know, I I just wanted to build a house that kept her connected to those things. And uh, it was a place where she felt free and seen and heard. And so that's, that's the, you know, mainly our goals. And so, you know, one of the, we have a lot of different practices around that, right. Which is that you know, because obviously once you have the goal of how you want something to be, or you have the intention, you then have to lay out the groundwork for how to, you know, actualize it. And so for us, whether that's, you know, we don't, we're like a, we're a pretty psychotically no phones family. You know, we try really hard in that space. And it's funny because so many people know my work from Instagram. And I mean, I, I'm, I only really like allow Instagram on my phone for like one hour a week, basically, because you especially see that, anything taking you out of the present moment with your family, it just affects them. And, and I would never want my you know daughter to feel that she was secondary to a device or, and so I kind of also had this thing. I was like, you know, one good practice that we talk about is if every time you looked at your phone into that email, if that was like a special magical instrument that magically transported you to that place, how many times did you disappear and there would be no one in the room with your kid if you were the only person there, mm. you know, or how many times would like there be no one there to like feed her with, because you would have just disappeared really, you know, for those five seconds and like the person holding her spoon wasn't actually there anymore. And so, you know, we kind of just try to have those habits of presence because I do think the homes that kids want to break out of are ones where they don't feel seen and heard you know, where parents, where their parents don't feel present or where they don't feel prioritized. And so, you know, for us, it's really just a constant kind of conversation around like these habits were working. These ones weren't, you know, like when I'm rushing, I noticed this or like, you know, I felt that my daughter was, you know, even like trying to tell me this, but I realized that 
because I was really busy that day. I actually was deciding what she was trying to tell me instead of actually like listening. And, and I had a harsh reality with that semi recently. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I just kept thinking that she was saying this to me, but really because I had so much going on at the time, what, what she was really trying to tell me about something, I was like, I didn't have the space to hear here, you know, to hear it. Cause it would have made me have to create certain changes that I, I didn't have the, I was rushing too much to like take the time to make. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, once you even notice that you're like, Oh, we just talk about like, okay, what's our new habit around slowing down, you know? So for us as parents, we really just are constantly in conversation around new habits. So what are the little habits that you have or routines that you have with Memphis that you feel like are, well, you're reading to her your book. You read her your book. <laughs> I'm like, I'm reading, just trying to, you know, get that, you know, next generation of fans going. No, <laughs> I just read her that. Um, I read all those books. When you read those 300 books, did you figure out kind of from that experience, some of the amazing things about children's books and some of the really things that are desperately in need of yeah, you know, shifts? So many of the books I read, you know, some weren't the children's books in the same exact age range that I was writing in because some books I just was like, I thought back of my own childhood and was like, when um, did I feel the most connected to my imagination? And so I read a lot of Roald Dahl books, um, you know, which are not in any way like relevant to the reader I was writing for, but it just reminded me, it just, I had to kind of like break down a lot of adult barriers, you know, and and, because I wanted to make sure that I could, you know, I didn't want to make the language too mature and I didn't want to, you know, turn it into like a completely spiritual text for adults. And so, you know, to me, I was kind of like, that really helped me with some of the language, like the road curved a little, almost as if it was giving me a hug, you know, because I remembered that like, oh, magical things happen in kids' books. Um, And so really all of the books I read, you know, for the most part, I read books that reminded you that, you know, of magic and magical thinking. And so I think I read like, you know, the complete anthology of Winnie the Pooh. And I read, you know, pretty much like every Roald Dahl book. And I read some modern books that I loved, like What to Do with a Wish. I loved that book. And I read, I'm trying to think which other ones I really loved. And, and then I read some board books and things too. And I just kind of, you know, I was, I was really kind of like open to reading anything because I wanted to like try to understand the genre. And so I went to some that were just like, you know, the bestsellers the past few years. And then I went to some that were kind of more of a poem. And then I obviously reread The Little Prince and, um, you know, the classics. But for me, because I really wanted to make a book that felt like a classic kids book, like, you know, books like Madeline were really important to me. Books like The Little Prince were really important to me as I was writing this because I wanted it to feel like, you know, just how like, you know how sometimes it's like the best wisdom is the wisdom that's just been existing forever and ever and ever. And you just, it feels just like a nice reminder of something rather than like something that's just like exploding your mind that's new. And so this book, yeah. I really wanted it to feel like you might've read it as a kid, you know, um, as the parent. And so yeah. it was, um, that was like something I really kind of prioritized in, in which books I focused on um, as inspiration. I was thinking about the runaway bunny and how it's like a little um, codependent. Yes. <laughs> intense. And you definitely have some in it. And, and luckily, like, yeah, there are definitely like, there are definitely like some kids books where you're like, 
huh? I know, I know. <laughs> but I was thinking about how you solved for ever present and loving and supportive without that like very, I don't, I- intrusive feeling that you get from the runaway bunny, even though that was like a book I read a thousand times and wanted, by the yeah. way, like wanted that, like thought that was a really good definition of being loved. Yeah. You know, but that's the <laughs> um, thing, you know, I just, I, I just wrote about this the other day is how, you know, the, one of the greatest gifts I ever got through my own therapy was realizing that it wasn't my ability to be loved or love. That was my problem in adult life of relationships. It was the definition I had of love. It was something I inherited, not something I chose. And so it would never truly belong to me. Hmm. So that book, this book is very much love. Yeah. This book is really about role modeling what is important for our kids rather than like telling them what to do. It's just showing it so that it can just kind of like really easily be integrated into their existence. 